Welcome to this week's edition of the Carolina Kayak Lunker Hunters podcast, sponsored by Carolina Waters and Carolina Paddlesport Outfitters, the podcast that covers determined trails in North Carolina and beyond. Today I have my two cats, Alfie and Cleo, sitting in with me as co-hosts, although they will probably derail the show more than they help the show, but they decided to jump in with me this afternoon to record this podcast. It is Tuesday afternoon, and I've spent a lot of time the last day and a half thinking about what was a very difficult start to the 2021 season for CKA. 66 anglers took to Sharon Harris Reservoir, and only seven of those anglers managed to catch one fish. I was in the majority. I did not catch a fish. Uh, all of my all of my practice days I spent trying to fish out deep, trying to fish a little bit offshore, and all three of those practice days I did not catch a fish. So on tournament day, I pretty much scrapped everything that I was thinking and I went I went to the Hallman ramp and I went up to the bridge. If anybody knows Sharon Harris. Um, there's one bridge on the lake that's on the northern end and I paddled up there and sure as the world I thought at some point during the day those fish were going to with the daytime heating were going to move up onto the onto the rocks of the bridge and they were going to they were eventually going to fire up well that certainly did not happen I spent more than half my day on that bridge didn't get a single bite by the by the middle of the day there were a billion bass boats around and a couple other competitors a couple other kayak competitors around um i went up north way up north tried to catch some fish shallow that didn't work out so it was just a uh it was a really tough start to the season and i was i was thinking about this earlier after uh we talked i talked about the first queen city tournament at uh lake james and how guys who guys who blanked would be able to learn something from that event. And I gotta tell you, I don't think I really learned anything from from yesterday or on Sunday rather. I think it I think Sunday was just one of those tournaments to forget about. Honestly. I don't think there was anything to be learned from that. When that many that many people do poorly you just kind of you just kind of say it was a tough day and put it behind you, and that's what I'm going to. That's what I'm going to try to do after this podcast. I'm gonna gonna kind of forget about Sharon Harris and move on to uh, move on to the next one, which is the Burlington Bash, March 13th for CKA. That'll be my next tournament due to uh, due to some work I have to do over the next couple weeks. So yeah, nothing. Nothing really to be learned from the from the first CK event at Sharon Harris. There was a bass boat tournament the the previous day, and I think those those guys did equally as bad. And that was a team tournament where they could run all over the lake with their bass boats. So that lake is fishing very tough. A lot of the country is fishing very tough right now. Um, the Major League Fishing Red Crest, their championships going on right now. And while you fall is a good amount south, like you fall is a good amount south of North Carolina, um, that lake isn't fishing particularly well either. The Hobie series at Watts Bar was really, really tough. So I think this last cold snap really put the fish in a uh, in a really bad funk. And hopefully that's about to break with the uh, with the extended forecast showing some some signs of warming. And with the overnight lows getting up into the more of the high 30s, low 40s, um, I think we'll I think we'll start to see that push of fish shallow. But it certainly didn't happen this weekend. Um, congratulations to the seven guys who did catch fish at the CK event. Hank Vajon wins the event with one 20 and three quarter inch bass. Um, I was fishing around him throughout some of the day yesterday. So congratulations to him for figuring out a way to uh, to force one of those fish to bite. 
Chris Dragat finishes second with 20 and a quarter inch bass. And Rich Van Meter finishes third with a 19 and three quarter inch fish. So the, the seven fish that were caught during the event were quality fish. There were just not a lot of them to be caught on Sunday. So congratulations to the guys who did figure it out, did manage to get a check. Hank wins over $1,000 with one fish, and that's a rare thing to, uh, to see in tournament fishing. I think I can easily say Sunday's event was the toughest tournament I've ever fished in, in the non-Ohio River Division. There have been some tournaments I fish on the Ohio River back home that, uh, that were kind of like this one, where it took one fish to win, one or two fish to win. I remember one in particular, my dad and I fished together and it was, I, I think it was either two days before or the day before it rained like an inch and a half and the river was so muddy that wa that river doesn't have very much water clarity anyway, but it was straight chocolate milk that day and we managed to, we managed to grind out one or two bites and that really made the difference i think we came in with two fish he managed to uh he managed to get a three pounder in the boat which was the big fish of the day and uh we ended up winning that tournament so sometimes it works out for you in tough conditions and sometimes it doesn't and uh yeah sunday was just one of those tough one of those tough days that you can't really uh you can't really explain but it certainly makes you feel a little bit better when uh, more than 50 guys are right there with you and aren't able to, uh, not able to get one on the board. So time to, uh, time to forget about it and move on. Before I officially forget about this tournament, however, Hank Vajan will join me later in the show to talk about the victory and how he coaxed his one fish into biting. So make sure you stay tuned to that later in the show. As I mentioned earlier, the Hobie BOS at Watts Bar was a very tough event as well. Ryan Lambert wins the event with 151 total inches for two days. He catches over 70 inches on both days to take home that win. A very consistent performance from him. One of the few guys with a very consistent performance. The big bag of the tournament was caught by Nick Matthews on day one. He had 88 and a half inches on that day. And the big bass was 21 inches, and that was caught by Colin Lampkins from Illinois. So congratulations to those guys. Jeremy Hughes was the highest finishing North Carolina angler with a 36th place finish with 32 inches. He caught fish on day one, but unfortunately wasn't able to land a fish on day two. And that was kind of the, a lot of what the field did. It was catch it one day and not catch him the next. Um... 62 anglers caught fish total out of the 94, 94 angler field. Um, that's a pretty no, low number for the Hobie series. I think it'll pick back up once all the snow and ice melts from across the country. Because I know there are a lot of guys who are, who are still snowed in without power in Texas and Louisiana and in the, in the far south in particular. So you'll see that number jump back up as we as we go into the next couple events for sure. This is just a kind of a kind of a one-off deal as far as low participation for the Hobie series, in my opinion. So coming up this weekend is the next two trail series events for KBF at Lake Murray in South Carolina. They are Saturday and Sunday. Again, two two separate tournament days for the trail series. I don't know very much about Lake Murray other than it has really big fish in it and it's a blueback herring lake. Um, I think I think with the weather warming up, you'll see a lot better results than anywhere in the country last weekend. Good luck to all of you heading down there. I know there's quite a few North Carolina anglers going to fish this event. It's one of the closest, if not the closest, KBF event to North Carolina. So... A lot of you are going down there, so make sure you wear your life jackets, be safe, and hopefully one of you brings home a, uh, brings home a title to North Carolina. As far as the national tournament trails, the Bassmaster Elite Series heads to Knoxville this week. 
Official practice has already started. I will be traveling there on Wednesday to cover the event. Make sure you check out Bassmaster.com to read all of my content. I'll be doing the post-tournament post gamers as well as doing a little bit of blogging up there. So make sure you go check that out on Bassmaster.com. And the MLF Red Crest, as I mentioned, has started. They are on Lake Eufaula. And North Carolina angler Brian Thrift is in the lead after two days. Lake Eufaula is fishing pretty tough overall, but Brian Thrift has definitely figured something out. Before we get to our guest today, I have to thank Carolina Waters for their support of the podcast. Carolina Waters is a performance and outdoor lifestyle brand that celebrates the aquatic resources in North Carolina, from the mountains to the coast and all points in between. Check out their selection of lightweight performance shirts with sun protection, soft style logo tees, including the new Redfish series of shirts, comfy multi-season hoodies, and a variety of headwear. Whether you are on the water or just hanging around town, Carolina Waters has you covered, and my listeners can use the code KAYAK at checkout for a special offer. Check them out at carolinawatersnc.com, on Instagram at carolinawatersnc, and on Facebook at carolinawatersnc. Their gear kept me warm all day on Sharon Harris. It started out as, I think it was 28 degrees at takeoff, so had on their hoodie and it was very comfortable, very warm. And it made for a, a little less miserable of a day, that's for sure. I'd also like to thank Carolina Palsport Outfitters for supporting the podcast. CPSO specializes in putting you in the kayak that fits your needs at the best price around. CPSO are a dealer for Native, Feel Free, Three Waters, Johnny Boat, Sea Stream, and Cuckoo Watercraft. Visit their website at www.carolinapso.com. And their main location at Ace Hardware in Arcadia, located 10 miles south of Winston-Salem. My guest this week is making his second appearance on the show and won the first CK event of the season on Sharon Harris, Hank Fajan. Hank, thanks again for joining me on the show. Uh, we'll start with this. On Of all the tournaments you've fished throughout your career, where does this one rank as far as difficulty level? That's a great question. Uh, first, thanks for having me back on the show. I'm honored. Uh, normally, my seasons start with catastrophic and embarrassing skunks on the board. Uh, the last two years at Santee Cooper at the KBF Trail, I failed to submit a single fish. Uh, if I look back, uh, to a previous early season tournaments, CKA at Heiko, one fish. Uh, I want to say there was a there was a local club that lasted for about a year. They started a tournament at at Harris in late February, and that was also a one fish event for me. It was actually similar to this one. So I can go back even to the infamous event in 2015 where. Uh, Jeremy Coggins won $1,000 with a nine-inch bass, and nobody else submitted a fish at Jordan Lake, um, and I also skunked at that event. So I've not had a pretty start to my seasons over the course of my career. As far as difficulty level is concerned, yeah, this was right up there with those other ugly events, I mean, let's just put it out there. This was the most difficult condition you could ask for for early season bass fishing. Oh, no. Uh, she, yeah, Sheeran Harris was, it was high. The water temperature had dropped five degrees over the course of the week. I was there Tuesday and went back Sunday, and the water temperature was down five, six degrees. Um, it was stained. Uh, the wind changed direction from one day to the next. So that wind was not blowing out of the east. It was north and west on Saturday and Sunday it was blowing due east. So when you have like just rapidly changing conditions like that, it's going to dramatically affect the bite. I'm going to say that in terms of difficulty, this was in the top five most difficult events but I've actually fished worse. Um, the 2018 KBF National Championship 
No, wait, let me get the date right. The 2017 KBF National Championship. That was the second nationals at Kentucky Lake. And it was just as cold. The water was just as high and dirty. But there was wind and wave activity on that lake that was so scary out on the main points that if you went out there, you were really risking your life. And like an idiot, I went out there and risked my, my hide on one of those points. I lasted about 10 minutes. And I was only paddling then in my old kayak. I didn't have a pedal drive. And a wave picked me up and dropped me within a foot of one of those ledges that was exposed, um, those cliffs on the edge of the lake there out in Tennessee. And I thought, that's it. I'm out of here. Uh, and I went and found a quiet cove and just dragged a jig through it for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, Kentucky uh, Lake will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky Lake. Yeah, uh, Kentucky Lake. When you get those Midwest conditions, we don't normally get conditions like that here. Sustained high wind and cold over a period of three or four days. You, you don't you don't see those Midwestern winds here. And that's a good thing that we have those mountains protecting us. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, Sheeran Harris this past week was on a scale of one to 10. I'm going to give that event like an eight with 10 being most difficult. I'm going to give it like an eight. It was a tough one. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. And I mean, I was talking to people at the people at the ramp before we took off and everyone's practice seemed to go about the same as far as either either blanking completely during practice or only catching one fish here and there. Um, so I think all of us knew going in, it was going to be tough. I just, I think we all even still under underestimated exactly how tough it was going to be. Yes, I agree, but I had hope. I had hope because I did something on Tuesday that gave me a really important clue. Uh, I went to the south end of that lake and I did what most everybody else was doing during the tournament. I went out there with a blade bait and fished deep water. I was looking for fish in 15 to 25 feet of water. That's where you catch them when it's cold on that lake. And I didn't get a single bite. I'm but more importantly, I didn't mark fish. And there were a lot of dead shad at the south end of the lake. And that told me that the bass had cleared out. And this time of year, if you understand largemouth bass biology, the days are getting longer. Those bass, they, they're like us, they're animals. They get restless, they get cabin fever. They've been penned up in that deep water uh, for months now. And they're going to just, you know, they got spring fever, man. Their bodies are telling them to eat as the days get longer. The light is lasting. I mean, I'm looking out my window right now. It's what, it's almost 630 in the evening and I've still got low light. Mm -hmm. So their body clocks are, the, the body clocks of a largemouth bass, they don't really care about what's happening up above in the human world. Uh, around this time of year, those fish, you know, there's a chemical drive in their bodies that tells them, okay, it's time to start looking around at the rest of the lake. So when I saw that those bass had cleared out from the deep water, I came home and packed away all my blade bait gear. And I tied on some different lures. <laughs> I just I just thought, well, that just eliminated about 90% of the lake. So I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, where do bass go during right now? These bass are in a transition in North Carolina. They're moving from deep water, but they haven't committed to shallow water yet. So it's a hard time to catch these fish. You're going to get them in those transition zones, intermediate water, six to 10 feet. They're gonna move up as the day warms, maybe creep up onto a flat, uh, move near a creek channel and look for food. 
right now, you know, crayfish are coming out. There are, you know, different emerging terrestrials. They're going to be on warm days like today. They're going to be bug hatches. And um, the bait's also moving around too. So they're going to follow the food. And the food right now is coming in from creek channels. It's getting washed off of the banks into the lake. Uh, on a warm night, the frogs are in the woods. They might not be near the water yet, but they're around. And the bass sense that too. The world is waking up from winter. And when I saw that the deep water bite was dead, I figured I would head back into one of the creek channels with a different strategy. I took a chance, you know, but it paid off. Absolutely. Absolutely. It took only, a, it took only one fish and you got that, get, got that right fish. Talk a little bit about, <laughs> talk a little bit about how you were able to uh, get that fish in the boat. Uh, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still laughing about it, brother. I mean, it's just, when the first time that happened six years ago at Jordan, I thought I'll never see this again. Right. Absolutely. And I never, ever would have thought that I would have been the next guy to do it and that it would have been a stud fish that held up when, you know, frankly, other people could have beat me. Uh, Shelly Eford lost a decent bass at the net. And he, you know, he put a fish on the board. So he would have had two fish in one. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I heard from one of the TDs that someone had a fish that wasn't photographed correctly and it was um, denied. So, I mean, there, there was an, a real element of luck involved that should not be discounted. When you have 65 other guys on the water trying to catch fish, man, you know, your chances are real low of one fish, big, even a big one holding up. And you saw the second place guy came in with a 20 and a quarter inch fish. Uh, he came real close to beating me. So yeah, he gave you a run. He did. And if you look at the, the type of fish that were put on the board, they were quality fish. Those fish were 17, 18, 19, 20 inch fish. Um, those are the big females that, you know, we all hear about it right now that early in the spring is your chance to catch a monster female. That's what those females are doing. They're moving up. And, you know, the male bass, the schools are going to start following them soon, too. Um, so that's that, if you look at that leaderboard, before I get to your question, if you look at that leaderboard, you see exactly what the transition from winter to the pre-spawn is about. Those fish are not in full pre-spawn mode, but they're pretty fat. They've been eating well down deep and now they're moving up and they're getting ready to really put on the feed bag. And those fish really illustrated that. If you go to the CKA leaderboard on Tourney X, those are quality fish. Uh, those are the kinds of fish that you need to win tournaments. And they were, everybody had one of them. <laughs> right, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So about your question about how uh, I caught that fish, um, I pedaled out from the launch and my first thought was, let me check a few main lake points. But then I decided I wasn't going to do that um, for two reasons. One of them was that I was trying to second guess myself. And I'm too old and clever to do that now. I've second guessed myself in way too many tournaments distracted. And I knew that those main points were too deep, uh, especially on the southern shore where I was pedaling. They weren't getting the sunlight yet. So... Um, I knew that that was a waste of time. The other was a practical issue. You know, when it's that cold out, it affects your battery life on your electronics. So I was worried. I, my stuff was fully charged, but I was worried about keeping that fish finder alive for the full day because I knew I was going to need it. So I didn't turn on my fish finder until I pedaled for 30, 35 minutes uh, to that area at the back of the lake. I was fishing the east end of the lake past the bridge. Um, I stopped at the bridge. I checked it out a little bit. Didn't see much happening there. There might have been some crappie or some perch stacked up there. So I decided to go down the riprap 
marked a few fish there, but I decided not to stay in that area because I could, I just don't know what those fish are. You know, I could be marking carp and white bass or white perch. So I just kept going. And as I got, as I made the turn along the northern bank, so my strategy was this, fish the northern bank of the lake because that's gonna get the most sunlight early and that water is gonna warm the most. So I went along that warm side of the bank and I started by slow rolling an inline spinner. Um, I, I sometimes use a, um, this time of year, I use a MEPS Aglia long cast. It's not the long Aglia. It's a bit of a confusion with the nomenclature. If you look at the MEPS catalog, there are two inline spinners that have the long, the word long attached to it. There's the Aglia long, and then there's the long cast. The long cast has a molded weight that they run the shaft of the, of the bait through. And it can weigh, you can get them, I think they weigh like an ounce. Um, it casts a mile. And what I like about that lure is that it stays low in the water column. Uh, sometimes I'll get them with the willow blade. Sometimes I'll throw the Colorado blade. Unfortunately, I packed the willow blade. And I, when I saw how stained the water was back there, I re regretted it. I should have had a Colorado blade in case I picked up a, a, a random bite along that bank. But I didn't. I threw that lure and pedaled along. I didn't mark much. I was in about four to five feet of water. And then I hit the old creek channel that runs to the back of that arm and I started marking fish. And I started thinking, okay, let me just keep going. I'm just gonna run the graph along here. And I was in my mind, I was turning over what to do. And I got to the far end of the creek and it was full of ice and the water temperature dropped from 43 to 37 degrees. So I looked around there in the main channel and I realized these fish are not in this creek. So I backed off a little bit and I, I found the transitional water where that water jumped from like the high 30s into the low 40s. And that's where I started marking fish again. So I knew that those fish were along that bank, but they weren't in the channel. The funny thing about that area of the lake, uh, Drew Blair and I fish it a lot. And it's also true of the other arm of the lake. I think that's the white oak arm on the northwest side of the lake. Um, there are islands there of grass that are, even in the summer, they're partly or mostly submerged. We call them the humps. Mm -hmm. uh, we've figured out that fish orient to those humps uh, about, it was like 2017 because Larry Anderson was still living here and fishing with us. So what I noticed was, was that when I was drifting over those humps, at that point, the wind had picked up out of the east. I noticed that there were fish tucked behind those humps. So I picked up and tried to position my kayak so that my, my boat would drift along the edge of the channel because those humps aren't in the channel, they're on the sides of it. So those humps are actually kind of like wind and current barriers, they're breaks that create underwater eddies. And those fish were tucked on some of those humps, they were tucked behind them. But it's really hard to calculate your drift over those humps because they're not really marked much. And you can't see them because the water, the lake was high. So I just basically took a shot and started drifting. I, I tied on um, a black and blue, one of those Denny Brower jigs with the little rattles on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I tipped it with a, with a, with a Kitex swim bait. Um, but I trimmed the swim bait down so that barely any of the, the paddle tail was sticking off of the hook. My reasoning for doing that was as follows. I was going to present a natural drift. And I wanted that jig to move as slowly as possible. And if I picked it up, I wanted that tail to vibrate a little bit. And when I dropped it, I wanted 
with with the wind pushing from east to west and me drifting in that direction, I figured the current would puff up the skirt and give it a higher profile when it was resting. So I just let the wind carry me and I was just picking up my rod or sometimes I was just holding the rod in my hand and just lifting the line. And every once in a while that jig would, would hit one of those humps. And I would feel it and I would, you know, I would wait and get real tense like, oh, oh, maybe now. And then nothing would happen. And I drifted about 150 yards along that area. And right before I got a little too close to the flat that's back there, um, that jig must have gone past the hump because I felt the lure like I felt a pull, like the jig had hit the hump. And then when it, when it went slack, the fish grabbed it. And that, the fish, I mean, that wasn't a subtle blade bait bite. That bass absolutely train wrecked that jig. I mean, it hit it really hard. And I, I just got a good hook set on it. Like I just, you know, I just swung the, the, the rod and that fish just went digging. Um, it never jumped. And within about a minute, it tired out and I got it to the boat and I just, I just, you know, it came up and it, I skied it right into the net. You know, I planed it into the net. That's the good part about catching those early, really early springtime fish is they're, uh, they're usually a little bit calmer. Yeah, this one was, I mean, the funny thing about big bass, if you, Nine times out of 10, if you hook them in deeper water, they're not really going to jump or they'll give you a half-hearted, like I'll stick my head out and show you my gills sort of thing. I mean, I've caught a lot of big bass and I've never had a problem with them jumping and throwing anything unless they're in shallow water. And that's where they really get panicked and freak out. And you know, with a jig, if a bass jumps with a jig, it, that the weight of the jig, they, they'll use it and, and the jig will pop out sometimes. So this fish didn't jump, thankfully. I got it into the net and I thought, oh my God, I caught a fish. <laughs> I, was, mm -hmm. I was amazed, I was not expecting it. Uh, I was, I when I netted that fish, I was in five feet of water but I had that line out pretty far. So I'm guessing I hooked that fish in somewhere between five and a half to six and a half feet of water. Uh, those humps were really submerged. I've never fished Harris when the, the level was that high. So that's what did it. And then, um, and then I went back and tried a couple more drifts and it, I just, you know, it didn't work again. Uh, the wind also died down. And I think that's when I saw you at that end of the lake. Uh, the wind started to die down. That good dr wind drift that I had, it didn't last long. It lasted about an hour, I want to say. Yeah, it started to die after I tried to tried to go up and fish that, uh, fish that creek. Mm -hmm. How did you approach that? What were you do messing around with back there? So back there, there's a... Uh, there's a ditch mouth back there mm -hmm. and you know in the summertime they kind of they set up set up there pretty good and uh i figured i i mean i didn't pretty much i had nothing else going for me because the bridge the riprap bite wasn't panning out and so i went up there just kind of on a just a hail mary type deal see if they were still sitting in there if they'd sit there in the winter time but i think the problem with that on Sunday was it was too high and too muddy and there was still there was still a decent amount of current going through there so I think as far as the as far as the ditch mouth goes it was just too blown out for it to really be effective yeah yeah it was and that and it was cold. really it was pouring cold water into there um but it warmed up quickly along that bank I was I hooked that bass you know, that bass was 20 and three quarter inches um, and it had a decent girth. It had been eating well. It was still pale. It yeah, was really you know, pale. Also, for how for how shallow it was, it must have just moved up there because it was really, 
I was surprised at how pale that fish was for how, mm -hmm. how shallow you were fishing. Um, absolutely. That was a, a pale fish. And that's what goes back to my earlier point is that those deeper fish are moving up and they're going back deep. So the water, if you go out to the middle there, you're going to find 10 to 15 feet of water in a relatively short, you know, uh, span of paddling. So that fish is probably moving up. It was probably trying to get out of the wind and the current, and it was just tucked behind one of those humps. Um, yeah, I spent the rest of the afternoon or the rest of the morning, I went to the other side and tried to see if there was something there. And I actually did get a bite over there. I don't know what it was. I didn't hook anything, but I tried the same technique. I was just really slowly dragging that jig and picking it up every once in a while and dropping it. And I, I should say this, I am not a cold water fisherman. I grew up in the Northern states fishing in those states. And, you know, up north, they have closed seasons. You really aren't supposed to bass fish certain times of the year, right? So I grew up fishing for bass in the warmer months. But down here, you have year-round fishing. And it took me a while to figure out how to catch bass in the winter. Um, I've had to make a concerted effort to figure out how to fish in the winter months in these tournaments. And that is a really hard thing to do because we're creatures of habit, right? Like everyone knows that I love to fish top water baits and crank baits. You know, I like power fishing. I like, uh, you know, a swim bait or, uh, you know, a jackhammer or a chatter bait, a spinner bait. Like I want moving lures, I want, you know, explosive bites. Like I know how to do that kind of fishing. When it comes to finesse fishing or jig fishing or deep water fishing in, in cold water, you know, I was out of my element for a long time. And a few years ago, I read a book. Let me grab it off the shelf here, hang on. Give me one second. I'll be right back. I got gotcha. uh, you. Yep, I got it right. I can't find it. It's on my... Sorry about that. I got a book here on the shelf. It's called Jigs and Jig Fishing. Um, there's a review of it on my website, uh, bowfincountry.com. There's a, there's a little section on the website where I review fishing books. And I read that book three years ago after my final embarrassment at Kentucky Lake. And I said, I've just got to get this together. So I started studying and practicing cold water techniques. So I'll go out to Harris, fish blade baits um, once a month. I'll go out to um, Jordan and fish uh, jerk baits. Um, I'll fish a Ned rig. I'll go really small, as small as I can. I'll go with, you know, um, a small jig and just, you know, just try different things with it. Uh, one of the jigs that I like to use this time of year is a swivel head jig. I love the, um, the Z-Bait company, um, the swing head jig that they make. I've caught the last two years, I've caught some really, really decent fish on that. Uh, and I'll just, you know, tip it with something different depending on water clarity. So, you know, going small and slowing down is important. The other day I fished a bigger profile jig because I wanted them to see it because that water was so stained. But usually I'll go a lot smaller than that, like a three eighths ounce. And um, you've really got to teach, if you're, if you're a habitual power fisherman like I am, you really have to teach yourself to slow down. And that's hard to do. Uh, for a lot of folks. And it's still hard to, for me to do. Look, during the last two hours of that tournament, I was basically junk fishing. I was throwing crankbaits and jerkbaits and all kinds of stuff because I was so desperate to catch another fish. Um, but that wasn't going to cut it. And I knew it was a recipe for disaster. Um, but I still, I just, I was, I'd been dragging a jig for five or six hours. I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. I needed to move.
Right. I did kind of the towards the end of the day, I was kind of doing the, I moved back to that uh moved back to the bridge and the riprap and tried through five or six different things, thinking maybe the rocks had heated up enough for the bass to kind of move up there, but uh no dice as far as that one goes. But anyway, you you start the season with a victory. Uh, you are automatically qualified for the CK Tournament of Champions with the win. Uh, you mentioned your struggles with early season tournaments. How good does it feel to get kind of get that monkey off your back and uh, know you're already qualified for one of the TOCs? Yeah, I feel great. It, it's it's a really satisfying feeling. Um, you know, winning a CKA event is always tough. Winning it in those conditions is miraculous. Um, but, you know, three or four years of cold water practice finally paid off for me this winter. I've been catching uh, bass on a jerk bait since January. And, um, you know, I, I threw a jig out there this weekend on a hunch and it paid off. It feels great. I think that I have to be careful not to let this moment that we're in trick me into thinking it's going to continue. That is to say, in the next few weeks, there's going to be a dramatic temperature increase around here, both in the water and the air. I've got buds on my trees already out front. Um, I'm hearing songbirds I haven't heard all year. And these fish are going to, these bass are going to be in full pre-spawn mode by the time the next like wave of tournaments comes around. Um, I suspect they're already that way at Lake Murray for the KBF trail that's coming this weekend. Um, but by the time we get to March 13th, the next CKA event, and then March 20th, uh, we're going to be looking at, you know, full pre-spawn, even if the weather cooperates, we might even see some early spawners out there um, and some fish on beds, um, given the long range forecast that we're looking at in the area. We had a really mild winter here. Uh, people have got to keep that in mind. So there's going to be a dramatic change in the next few weeks. And this bite is going to absolutely take off. So I'm really looking forward to that. As much as I'm enjoying like this momentary victory, I know that it's going to be a long season. The grind is real. And I've got to get my head into thinking about, okay, I did this now but I don't want to fall victim to the hot hand theory. You know what the hot hand theory is, Christopher? I have an idea. I haven't heard it quite described that way, but I so have an idea. The hot hand theory is a theory that psychologists and economists use to explain how people trick themselves into continually doing the same thing, even though it doesn't return the result that they got the first time. So it's obviously a betting strategy, like the, it, the metaphors from gambling, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got a hot hand, like I'm going to keep playing it. Well, you know, just because you had a hot hand at the blackjack table yesterday doesn't mean you're going to have one today. And this is that time of year where things change so quickly, you've got to be careful to adapt quickly. So I'm already looking ahead and thinking, um, okay. What am I going to be looking at? What kind of water am I going to fish? How am I going to fish it? And um, yeah, well, I'm just going to take it from there. I'm not going to let this convince me into thinking I've got, I've figured out a pattern. Patterns don't work that way. Patterns are, they only last a few days at best and you've got to move on pretty quickly after that. So I feel good, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rest on my laurels. I got to keep, I got to keep awake and alert and make sure that I adapt to the conditions, especially this time of year. That's the key for everyone who's fishing these tournaments. Absolutely. I agree with that hundred um, percent. One thing I, do I have this wrong? Were you fishing that jig on a, uh, on a spinning rod? Yeah, I was. <laughs> there are two reasons for that. Um, the first was that I had, um, a deep diving crankbait on my casting rod. I only have a single casting reel right now because Joey Randall, uh, one of the QC guys, has my casting reels. So he's cleaning them up and he's been busy traveling and fishing tournaments. Um, so I need to get my reels back from him. <laughs> I'm, a little, 
I'm getting a little worried at this point. I know he's going to send them back, but I need to get them back so I can set up my casting rods. Um, so I had three spinning rods and the casting rod. And because I had already tied on that crankbait and lost it, that casting rod actually didn't have a lure on it the rest of the day. I didn't touch it again. Um, I had I just threw the jig on the spinning rod. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> right. Yeah, it ended up working out for you. Well, you know, I fish both, um, but I've found that I actually prefer a spinning rod for certain contact-based techniques. I don't know why that is. I'm, you know, like, I, I just, you know, when I really need to feel that lure touching the bottom, there's something about the way the guides are set up on a spinning guide that just I feel like because the, the weight of the rod isn't under the line, right? So I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like reversing that just gives me a better touch. I don't know. Um, it's a weird thing. So I'll normally throw a jig on a casting rod, but sometimes I'll, I'll just throw a spinning rod. I have no problem with it. And it worked out for me. Um, you're, you're, uh, you had your eye on my stuff. I see. <laughs> well, that's, it's the second time I've kind of fished around you and you're fishing, fishing the popper on a spinning rod as well. It's yeah. Kind of, I only fish that on a spinning rod. Um, most other top water baits like a buzz bait or a, um, or like a whopper plopper, I'll fish on a bait caster. But for me, the spinning rod is, is the rod for the pop bar. Um, um, I'm just, I've just got the, 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 the motion down with that in a way that I don't with the, uh, bait caster. So I have like some weird habits, uh, when it comes to some things and I'll, I'll, I'll mix it up sometimes. Uh, but that was more me just being tired and lazy than a strategy. I don't want to make it sound intentional. I'll normally, I'll normally nine times out of 10, that jig is tied to a cat, a bait caster, um, and right now I'm missing a couple reels. So um, I only had the one rod set up and it had different line on it. So I threw it on the spinning rod. Gotcha. You made it, you made it work for you. I thought to say, I, the only thing I pretty much throw on a spinning rod is a Cinco or a blade bait and everything else I'd prefer a casting rod. So I was curious, curious about your strategy there. Yeah, there wasn't really much of a strategy. That was more laziness. And, um, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning and, uh, uh, I just it's cold and you don't want to cold move. yeah it was one of those things uh you know and yeah I will say this um you know people some people if you look at some guys their rigs are just all bait casters or all spinning uh I've always got a mix so if you look at my my rod selection um this time of year I'm using you know lighter tackle uh, my line, I think I had eight pound test on that reel. Um, I'm using lighter rods, um, more finesse based kind of rods. Um, so even that, that bait caster I had like a medium fast action on it. Um, you know, pretty quick tip on that one. Uh, I save my heavy gear for the summer where I'm, where I'm fishing deep water. Um, and I've really got to get, I really have to have, a, like a, like a strong rod to dig those crankbaits and, um, drag those heavy lures, like swim baits and jigs, uh, you know, through 15, 20 feet of water. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to use a, a faster rod, uh, or reel for that matter. The gear ratios on the, on my reels that I had the other day. I think I might have even had my Fluger that has one of those really wide, like crappie reels. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure; it might be in the garage still. Um, there was one rod I didn't even touch the other day. It had a, it had a jerk bait on it, and I didn't even touch it. Gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So, next CKA tournament is, as you mentioned, March 13th, Burlington Bash. We got four different lakes to choose from. What are you uh, now that we're getting? into some warmer weather year what are you predicting as a uh, what would you predict a winning uh, a winning bag to be for that event well 
You know, that Burlington Bash, um, we did it two years ago the first time. We had a great turnout. Um, we, look, I'm, I'm still talking like I'm a CKA director. <laughs> uh, CKA had a great turnout um, in 2018 or 2019 when we first did that event. Those four lakes are totally different lakes. Uh, Graham Mebbin is a pretty shallow lake with two long arms. Kamak uh, is a big lake. It's got a lot of points on it. Um, it's a big deeper lake. It's, it's a little farther north than the other four. Uh, Stony Creek is really only a lake for like the bottom 10% of the water that's there. And then it quickly turns into a, a slow moving river channel. And uh, that's got deep water at the, at the launch end. And then it quickly goes to shallow water and current with a lot of structure. That's a really interesting place to fish. Um, um, and it's not like the creek arms in Graham Mebbin or for that matter at McIntosh. And McIntosh, you know, a lot of people know that lake. We fish it regularly. It's got the two creek arms um, at the south end and the, the west end. And then it's got the deep water. So you've got everything in those four lakes, but they're all slightly different. Stony Creek warms up more slowly. It's, a, it's like a canyon almost where it's located. So it gets a lot less sunlight this time of year. Graham warms up pretty quickly uh, because it's wide open. There's not a lot of tree cover, so it gets a lot of sunlight this time of year. Um, you know, guys are going to have to fish those lakes. You know, wind is going to be a variable. Uh, current rain, uh, water temperatures. Uh, are we going to have rain? I don't know. We'll see. I, and then I... you're going to just have a lot of each the different variables that we consider as fishermen are affect those four lakes in different ways. So, you know, McIntosh is known for producing big bags. Uh, Joey Sullivan caught a 10 pounder out of there at that last event. Um, like, you know, that's a double digit bass. There were some massive fish that came out of McIntosh at that event. And there were some big bags. But there were also, there was at least one really big bag that came out of Stony Creek. And I was surprised because Stony Creek, I fished it too for that event. Stony Creek was a lot colder um, than McIntosh um, that day. Uh, the water temperatures there were a few degrees colder than they were at McIntosh. And that lake still produced fish, uh, a, a really good bag that Jeremy Olszewski um, uh, caught. So. I think that if we get the right weather, any one of those lakes is going to pop off and multiple lakes could pop off. Uh, for me, the wild card is Graham Mebbin because if we get the right conditions, that's a shallower lake and guys who fish shallow water might really have amazing success on that lake. Uh, it's a different lake than the other three um, in a lot of ways. So if we get the right conditions, any one of those lakes could produce a really big limit of fish. I'm thinking mid-March, given the long-range forecast I've been looking at with the warming trend that we're moving into, man, I don't know. I, th I think with a five-fish limit, um, you're going to need 95 to 100 inches to win one of these tournaments. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw multiple 95 inch plus bags at that time of year and maybe a hundred plus is going to have to take it if that's the case it'll be a it'll be a stark difference from this past sunday on sharon harris that's for sure oh absolutely and you know if the weather cooperates and let me say this too this is north carolina's peak moment for bass fishing like this is when the big fish are caught from November to April is when you see the best, biggest trophy fish coming out of these lakes. People think that summertime is the best time. It's not. We're right at the peak of the best time. From late February to early April is when the really big bass are caught. 
in this area. Um, but that starts already in the fall. Um, you saw Jordan, multiple 11 pounders came out of that lake in no, uh, the last two Novembers and a 12 pounder came out of Baden a couple of Novembers ago too. So when you see those, those big fish starting to move up again, um, yeah, that's the time. So we're, we're, this is going to be a really interesting event. Uh, guys are going to have to pick those lakes based on their, based on the conditions, but also based on their preference. Like McIntosh, you can basically do everything in that lake. It's got every sort of fishing available. Uh, Graham Mebbin's going to favor shallow water guys. Stony Creek is going to favor guys who fish in current on the northern end of it. And then, you know, deep water on the dam end of it. Quebec has always been a, a mystery to me. I've never quite figured it out. But, you know, a guy like Jacob Miles, he really knows that lake. Um, you know, he might go up there and pull 105 inches out of it. You know, um, you just never know. I've seen him fishing there in January um, and catching fish. So, and good fish. So, um, it's going to be a really interesting event. And then CCKF at Jordan is going to be amazing too because. Jordan tends to warm up a little more slowly in my experience. So having that a week later is perfect. I think Mitch picked a great date for that one. Absolutely. I agree with you there. As long as the, as long as the ramps are open for it anyway. But yeah. Yeah. Before I get you out of here, give us a, uh, give us a quick preview about what you expect from, uh, from Lake Murray this weekend for the KBF trail series. Yeah, that's tough. Um, my heart's broken. I'm not going to be able to get down there, but I've been reading a lot of the reports from Murray. Um, you know, those fish are doing what the fish are here should be doing in about two weeks. Um, they're moving shallow. Uh, they're moving back and forth between shallow and deeper water. They're starting, the important thing that they're doing there that I've noticed is that they're orienting to, to shallow structure. So I think that some really good bags are gonna come out of there. I saw the sign up, at least the last I checked was really strong. Um, the, the main concern that I would have going into it is what the rain is gonna do. Um, there might be some light rain down there on one or both days. Uh, it's not gonna be anything serious, but where is that rain coming from? I don't know. Uh, is it going to be colder rain or is it going to be warmer rain coming up from the south? Um, I would want to really keep an eye on that um, if I were an angler. Um, but I think that Murray is setting up beautifully right now uh, for a great event. And the, the anglers who are chasing points on the KBF trail are going to be, um, they're going to be pretty happy with that lake. It's an awesome lake. Um, I've got, I'm looking at the map right now here. I studied it a bit in January, uh, thinking that I would go, but, um, yeah, I think it's an amazing lake. It's got some, it's got some features that other South Carolina lakes just simply don't have. So I think it's going to be a fun event to watch from a distance and I wish I could get down there, but, uh, I've got other business to tend to, uh, here. Um, I want to say this, the white bass are going to be running in the rivers near my house. And I love fishing that bite so the next week to 10 days that's where I'm going to be is white bass fishing I'm going to put my largemouth tackle aside and get after some white bass because that's just you know if you like just getting bit and constant action when you get into a big school of those white bass and you're catching them one two even three to four pounders um, that's some of the most fun you'll ever have fishing in your life Absolutely. They're all, they're fun until you start catching them in a, uh, in a bass tournament. And oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're That's not true. Fun. Yeah. So, all right, Hank, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, one more thing before I let you go, any, uh, you want to shout out any of your sponsors here before, uh, before I let you go. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, I want to shout out Will Seeley at get out shop, get outdoors in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I've been meaning to get over there. Um, um, I need to have some work done on my kayak. Um, he's just, he really stepped up for CKA this season. And I've been on the staff there for four years, the pro staff at the shop. And Will is just, he's just a saint. He's just a great guy. He, he goes 
out of his way in every way to support kayak fishing and to support CKA. And it's not just because it's good for business. Um, Will loves what we do. And um, I think this year, given you know the economic difficulties that the pandemic has presented to local businesses, I would really encourage everybody to step up and show him some love, hashtag, you know, share his posts, go there, buy stuff. We're all gonna meet there for the Burlington Bash. Um, we'll probably, it'll probably be like the, 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 the Gate City Classic where we met out back, I would imagine. And, um, you know, we all gotta really step up right now and support these businesses that support us. So wanna shout out, get outdoors. Um, the catch team has just been phenomenal um, in supporting me. Um, and I have to say that the Jackson kayak fishing team is just outrageously amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm so lucky to be on that team. I love the kayaks, but the team community there is just so good. And uh, I'm so grateful and fortunate to have, um, you know, I don't have a lot of sponsors, but the ones that I have are really quality sponsors and they've stepped up big time. So I'm deeply appreciative, uh, appreciative and I thank them all um, for that, just that generosity. Absolutely. Hank, you've got a lot of, a lot of positive momentum already this season. Uh, I'm sure this will not be the last time I talk to you on this podcast after a win this season. So I'll let you go, sir. Thank you so much for doing this again. Thanks, man. Thanks. Don't jinx me. I'm going to take this positive <laughs> momentum to, to the kitchen and get some dinner. There you go. There you go. I'll Thanks see you for having me. Bash. Thank you. Welcome to this week's edition of My Best Catch a segment where I ask my wife, Allie, a simple fishing question that she will likely get incorrect. Allie, we organized the garage this weekend. Give me all of your thoughts and opinions as we were putting up my pegboard in the garage for all of my baits. What were your opinions as we were going through that? There were so many bags and boxes filled completely to the top with baits. Soft plastics, I am told. So many of them. So many of them. There's another order of them in the mail, too. Anyway, on to this week's question. Allie, what is a stupid tube? Um, a stupid tube is, um, an inner tube like device um, quite quite circular and inflated as a tube is um, but it's not very smart don't like the word stupid it's not very nice so we'll say it, it lacks some intelligence and because of that it's kind of just floating around just waiting for a fish to come and snatch it that is a stupid tube inflatable tube it's clearly a topwater bait because it's got a float that's all for this week's edition of my best catch Allie thank you as always for joining me you are welcome Thanks again to Hank for joining me on the show again this week. He is the first two-time guest on this program, as I said earlier, and I'm grateful as always to have him on the show. He has a wealth of knowledge, and he was able to do just enough to get the job done on Sunday. There's a lot going on the next couple of weeks. As I said, I'm going to be heading to Knoxville for the Bassmaster Elite Series, and then the following weekend, I will be in Anderson, South Carolina for the Bassmaster College Series there. So bear with me as far as scheduling the podcasts. Um, I will do my best to get an episode out and hopefully hopefully two episodes, um, but we will see. 
the Queen City Kayak Bass Fishing Trail heads to South Carolina there on Santee Cooper March 6th. Can't wait to see the results from that tournament and hopefully I will be able to get the winner of that event on. And I also want to get CCKF Tournament Director Mitch Lassiter on to preview the inaugural CCKF season that starts March 20th on Lake Jordan, water levels permitting. So those are the two things on the horizon that I'm hoping to get taken care of, but bear with me on scheduling. It's going to be kind of a, uh, kind of a wonky schedule here coming up, so I appreciate your patience with that. That is all I have for this week's edition of the show. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to Carolina Waters and Carolina Palsport Outfitters for sponsoring the show. Also, if anybody knows a boater who is heading to Santee Cooper March 27th that doesn't have a co-angler link, send them my way. I am registered for the BFL on Santee on March 27th, and I am looking for a boater to link with to make sure I get to fish that event. So if anybody knows anybody, send them my way. Have them send me a message or a, uh, a post on Facebook and we will uh, I will get that squared away. Thanks again for listening to the show and until next time this has been the Carolina Kayak Lunker Hunters podcast. <laughs>